0: When you're going to Acts chapter 3, let me tell you, go to Acts chapter 5 first, where we're going to actually start off. Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. It's our theme verse for the entire year. And let me, just by way of review, we're moving on now into chapter 3 of Acts. We're going to do it the whole book of Acts this year. We're going to travel along with these first Christians as they spread throughout the Roman Empire with the gospel. They're turning the world and its religions completely upside down with just one fact that Jesus saves and only that he's alive and he's coming back. Now, it's been a few days since Pentecost and it's been a pretty busy and hectic time. I mean, when 3000 people stand and says, all right, we're ready to get baptized, ready to join the church. What do we do next? Where are we meeting? Who's praying next? I mean, it's been super busy. and in verse five, chapter 5 and verse 42, let me show you how busy the church was in the first century. And daily, do you notice that word? Acts 5.42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not. They couldn't stop teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. They ceased not to teach and preach. They just were in motion. And that's our theme for the year, Christianity in motion. Now. Uh, things, we're, we're in Acts chapter 3, go back to chapter 3 now, and things kind of seem like they're returning to normal for Peter and John and the Christians there, or so they think, okay? Chapter 3, and let's start in verse 1 here. Let's get some context to what's about to happen. The beginning here, these beginning verses are going to give us a context of what, what Peter's going to say, and we're just going to let him preach this morning. Uh, verse 1, now Peter and John went up into the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And a certain lame man, lame from his mother's womb, he was born crippled, born unable to walk in Acts 3, verse 2 now, sorry. He was lame from his mother's womb. He was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which was called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, asking for money who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, says, can you spare some change? Verse four, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. Now, just stop there for a second. Notice what Peter and John are doing. They had the habit of going to prayer at three in the afternoon. That's very convicting. What hour do you decide I need to pray? Now, the easiest one for me is as soon as I get up. All right, get on the side of the bed. And start to pray because the rest of the day is busy. But these guys at three o'clock, they said it's time to pray. Now, I know a lot of other cultures. I mean, you go down to Spain, and you know what happens at three o'clock? Everything shuts down. They all go home and have a siesta. (laughs) They get their big meal and then they sleep, and then they come back to work at five or six o'clock in the evening. Well, Peter and John said, let's go pray. Let's go pray. They had the habit of praying at the ninth hour. Ninth hour is you start at 6 a.m. when sunrise, and you count every hour. And so the ninth hour of the day is 3 p.m. Roman time, our time. Okay. They meet a lame man. Verse 2, look there. This is a certain man lame from his mother's womb. He's crippled from birth. Uh, Whatever, the defect that that, uh, he was born with stopped him from being able to walk, so he was carried everywhere. How would you like that? You know how embarrassing it is to grow old? You know how hard it is to, to think about the future and think about, I'm going to have to be led places that I don't want to go. I can't drive anymore. I can't. Well, this man has lived with that all his life. He's never been able to have his own liberty. How many of you had your own car today and you just got in, you came to church? I'm not talking to the nine-year-olds. <laughs> we, we have such liberty. He never had that liberty. He has been carried everywhere. There was no wheelchair back then, no electric scooter. He only had had somebody to carry him from place to place. It must have been very humbling for him, very humiliating. Many days, he would be laid, day after day, would be laid outside of that temple the entrance so that he could beg for money. That was his only way to survive. We call it mercy giving or alms giving. And he sees Peter and John and he looks at him, and he just, thinks that there's just another two blokes and hands out his hand and says, got anything for me? And That's when Peter gives what he has. This is really brilliant. Look at verse three. Go on, who's seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms, asked for a gift in verse four. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him and with John said, look on us. Now, I like that. All of a sudden he steps out of the norm. Most people would probably just, oh, I don't want to even look at him. Uh, Because if you do make eye contact, all of a sudden you're going to feel guilty. And so people would just pass by. I'm not seeing it. I don't see this man. And this man looks up and Peter looks at him and says, go ahead, look on us. This is a powerful moment there. And uh, uh, verse 6. I'm sorry, Verse uh, did I say verse 5? Yes. Verse 5, and he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So he said, oh, good, somebody's going to give me some money. Verse 6, and then Peter said, silver and gold have I what? That means he was not the first pope. That means that the hustlers that are out there that are making millions and millions and millions out of religion are hustlers and liars and thieves. Now, I'm not saying that a person who preaches the gospel uh, has to live poor. But these people have private jets out the wazoo. And uh, the current worth of the current pope is somewhere around. Let's see. Did I write it down? What is he? Yeah, I had it. I don't know what it is. I forget what his, his personal worth is. It's several million euros. There's a guy named Kenneth Copeland. How many have you ever heard of him? 700 million dollars. 550 million euros. Pat Robertson's worth 100 million. Benny Hinn, 42 million. Joel Osteen, 35 million. Creflo Dollar, what a strange name. Creflo Dollar, 27 million. He's got a private jet, two Rolls Royce cars, and a multi-million, several multi-million dollar homes spread out th- from Atlanta to Manhattan. Joyce Meyer's got 8 million. She has rights to a 10 million dollar jet that she can fly anytime she wants. Folks, there's nothing wrong with having money and being wealthy if you earn it. But wealth gotten as a servant is suspect. That's why I'm suspect of everybody that wants to get into politics because they always come out wealthier. You're a servant. Peter says, silver and gold have I none. That's a good place to start. There's nothing spiritual about about being poor, but there's something about all these people who are making money off the backs of people who need hope. And I get very upset if you can tell about it. <laughs> Peter then declares that he had something far better than money. Have you got anything better than money? He said, I don't have any money. If you're saved, you got something far better. He says, I don't have just the God Jehovah. Look in verse um uh, verse six. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. You ever you ever just said, you know, I don't have much, but I'll give you what I got? That's what Peter said in the, circle that word, name. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter gives a name. You ever heard somebody says, you know, you get people around and they get a mean, and somebody drops a name, you know, Bill Gates, George Soros. And they drop names, Craig Ledbetter. <laughs> and they're dropping a name, and everybody goes, <gasps> Wow, do you know him? All of a sudden, here's Peter and John looking at this lame man. He says, let me give you a name. Use this name. Your need is answered by him, not by me. Peter's not going to claim, I have the power to heal you. He says, but there's somebody in heaven. He's alive, and he'll heal you now if you believe him. Then watch what Peter does. <clears throat> well, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk, verse 7, and he took him by the right hand. I mean, the guy wasn't sure what to do, and he just grabs him. He's never stood one second in his life, and all of a sudden, Peter says, come on. And he's standing. Verse 7, he took him by the right hand. He lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, I mean, he didn't just stand up. He flew for a moment there. He leaped up stood and he walked and he entered with him into the temple walking and he's doing an Irish jig he is leaping and praising God I want you to just think about this guy put your feet in his shoes that he's never walked on and he is just I get to go where where everybody else goes he's never been in the temple a crippled man was never allowed in the temple He has been kept out of a closeness with everybody else. As they went into the temple and they worshiped God, he always sat outside. It'd be like somebody sitting outside this door, listening to us sing, listening to the preaching, listening to the joy, and not allowed in this door. That's how he's lived all his life. And for the first time in his life, I'm going in. Can you imagine the joy in that man's life? You know, we have that same name. That's the name we use when we pray, isn't it? Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, don't use the Pope's name, don't use Mary's name, don't use Pastor's name. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, amen, and they will. That's a powerful name, isn't it? Jesus. You know what people hear today? They don't hear Christians talking about Jesus only name, the only word Jesus I hear is blasphemous. Wouldn't it be nice if the world heard us use his name? Don't just say Jesus this and Jesus that. That's not praying. I mean, they need to hear that, you know, that's my Savior. You're just mocked. I love him because he first loved me. They need to hear that name. That man was. Uh, that man was instantly healed by faith in his name. Keep going there, uh, verse 9. Verse 9, uh, and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. This was no fake. They've seen him there for years. And now he's walking in the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had at that which had happened unto him. And as a lame man which was healed held Peter and John. Can you imagine? I bet they were choking. I bet he was like, this is the greatest day of my life. And they're like, okay, you're to let go. <laughs> as they held them, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's greatly wondering. This man was instantly healed. And uh, just by believing in that name, and Peter preacher that he was uses an opportunity to preach. He had a crowd, and he was going to give them something to hear. Look at verse 12. He starts off right at the beginning verse 12, he says consider what you have done. Because I want you to understand this 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 is a great picture. This crippled man from birth is going to teach those devout, super-righteous, self-righteous, super-religious people about themselves and what they need. Watch this. Consider what you have done. Look at verse 12. And when Peter saw this crowd, when he saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Why look ye so earnestly on us? Why are you looking at me? As though by our own power or our own holiness, we had made this man to walk. It wasn't us. And I wish I had met some people who would quit claiming abilities that they don't have. It's a gift from God. He says, it wasn't us and our power that, that got this man to walk. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified not this man through this miracle, he's glorified his son Jesus. Watch what he says, watch, whom ye delivered up and denied him to the present and, and, and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, but ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and you killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are all witnesses. What have they done? Forget this miracle. You better think about what you've been like all your life. You delivered up Jesus to Pilate. You delivered a Jewish man to a Gentile governor named Pilate. We all hated Pilate. Nobody liked Pilate being in charge. And you took a Jewish man and you let him judge one of ours. You then denied that Jewish man. The rights to a fair trial, the right to counsel, the right to self-defense. You denied him every right that you hold dear. You denied him. Even when Pilate couldn't find a fault in him, you still demanded that he be murdered. You then desired a murderer to be let go in his place, and he die in the place of that murderer. Kind of interesting. Well... I'll talk about it in a second. <clears throat> and then lastly, he concludes, In the end, you murdered the Prince of Life. It's one of the titles of Jesus. He's the source of all life, and he's the Lord of life. Acts 5:31 says this: Him hath God exalted with the right hand, with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. You murdered the source of life. Now, that leads to a point, what is he getting at? You're just like this lame man crippled with sin and just like this lame man needed Jesus, you're crippled with sin, you need him too. So this, from his birth, no matter how religious that man might have tried to be, he would never be enough. He would never be able to get close enough to God. He's always out, he's always separated and it took the name Jesus Christ to give him the right and the ability to go straight up to God as forgiven, as a child of God, as equal. And those Jews out there who walk in there thinking that they were all fine, thinking they're devout, religious, they don't realize how crippled they are. And they're not near God, they're not close to God, they don't even know him. Then he says something really, he says, let me tell you what God has done, verse 15. He starts off and he says, you killed the prince of life, but there's a pause there. He doesn't end with a period, a full stop. He says, whom God hath raised from the dead, amen. Whereof we are witnesses, we've seen him, verse 16, and his name through faith in, this name, in his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Two things that, that God has done was he raised Jesus back up from the dead, And he's healed this crippled man. Now, what's so big about that? They both were impossible, weren't they? They both are impossible. You're so surprised by the fact that this crippled man is walking and leaping and praising God. Why aren't you impressed with the fact that Jesus, who was murdered by you, is back alive again? Folks, these these two things mean something big. Do you even know, he's asking them, do you know what God is telling you? And it leads to verse 17. He says this, and now, brethren, I what? We'd say, I know, I understand that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, suffer, he hath so fulfilled what is he saying he's saying i know you're ignorant and and that was a very derogatory statement to them i mean these were well educated well trained very religious they they knew the torah they wore it on their face and on their hands they put it in their houses they knew god's word or so they thought they did and peter says you were ignorant Now, he says, you are ignorant of three things. You are ignorant of four things. God's son, when he was walking around, you didn't even recognize him. You are ignorant of God's plan. God came into this world as a man, born as a baby, grew up as as the word of God in flesh and lived among us. And here he was, and it was all part of God's plan. And even your murder of him was God's plan. End of story, fine but you didn't even know what was going on and you were ignorant of of God's words. I kind of shudder at the fact, you know, when I get to heaven, God's going to be a little bit harder on me than he's going to be on you. Because he's going to ask me, did I really drill it in you that you need to know God's words yourself? You must be reading and learning and growing in this book. But then he's going to turn to you and say, did you do what Pastor Craig asked you to do? Did you get into my book and learn it? Are you ignorant of this book? Say, well, I just carry read. read it. We were talking yesterday. I don't remember who I was talking to. How many times I read through the Bible, it just was pew, 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 over the head. And then about the fifth time, all of a sudden, I started enjoying, I started getting it. I could, I could see where things were going. And I remember my pastor not answering all of my questions about what's this and what's that and what about this? He said, just read it, just read it. Just read your Bible, read it like any other book, start to finish, read it over and over. It has a cleansing effect, but it has a life changing effect as you learn it. And these men who had had the Bible had never taken the time to say, we better learn it. They were ignorant of God's words. And he's actually saying to them, you should have known who you were putting on that cross. Your own conscience tells you, you know it. You know that what you did was wrong. Every religion in this world agrees that what happened to Jesus was wrong. There's no religion that says, yeah, let's kill the Messiah. No, no, no religion says that. So you know what you did was wrong. So you have no excuse. Then he goes on to verse 19. Well, he's basically saying you are guilty of sending your Messiah to the cross. Verse 19. You have only one choice. First part of verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore. Because of all the wrongs that you have done, your only option is to repent. Don't pray more, don't give more, don't come to church more, don't go to the temple more, don't put down the cigarettes, don't don't stop being angry. All of that never works. You need to repent. So what is repentance? Go to Acts chapter 17. Just show you how emphasis, how how important this is. Acts 17.30. Acts 17.30. Hmm. Remember he called them ignorant? Look at this. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at. He put up with. He winced. He grimaced at. He said, oh, I wish they knew what they were doing. But now, what's the next word? commandeth all men everywhere to to repent. That's the only thing we can do. It's the only word that matches the seriousness of our actions. You know, belief is cheap. The devils even believe. So belief is not what you've got to just, well, I just believe. No, 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 no. A lot of people believe and they never change. There's a soil that belief has to be planted in. There is an attitude that you have to have so that this book has has a chance to work. It's repentance. Repentance is a desperate attitude. We usually use sorrow for it, where you're sad that you did wrong. I understand that. But whatever attitude you have, it is a desperate attitude that rejects and turns away from whatever you're doing that is against God. It's like you're repulsed by it. You may be enjoying a bowl of soup and as you're sucking on, I'm going to make some of you very sick here just a moment here, but as you are sipping down that soup and you reach down there and you notice a dead fly, that's repentance. You'd never take another sip, would you? Do you understand what I'm saying? When you realize that what you are doing, even your good things, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. When you realize that you're a church, you're coming to church, you say, well, I go to church. I go to the best church in Belancholic. I go to the Bible Baptist church. That is repulsive if that's what you're trusting to get saved. You have to, you just say, I, that I can never trust in again. You've got to reject and turn away from whatever you're doing that is against God. And that means religion. Remember, These people in Acts chapter 3 are very religious, aren't they? And it was their religion that murdered the Messiah. I know Pilate gave the final go-ahead, but religious people said, crucify him. Your pride is against God. Your sins are against God. So why would somebody repent? I love it. Because once you push that away, once you let go of whatever you say, it's hard to let go. I understand how hard it is to let go because it's part of our life, it's part of our habit, it's part of. But if you don't realize how serious your life is, doomed. Your life is so on the edge of eternity. If you don't let go, you will die and go to hell. People talk about what about so and so? They 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 have they don't come to church. Say look, they're already lost they're already on their way to hell. They need to know how to be saved because it is that close at any moment they could die. And when repentance is to say, you know what, I'm trusting my goodness, my, my uh, good looks, my money, I'm trusting my connections, I'm trusting my prayers, I'm trusting, whatever you are thinking that God will like and you come to the Bible and you find out repent. I mean, honestly, when you just walk away from that, you know what you have? You have empty hands. And once you repent and let go, you now have empty hands to receive the free gift, which is eternal life. That is repentance. I cannot come to God bringing all of the things that I think that are important. And I say, oh, here's all my education, Lord. I'm gonna come to you with my education. I'm gonna come to you with all of my heritage. I mean, I'm a Texan, you know, Lord. I'm going to come to you, God, with all of my, my prayers. And God says, can't save you then. And whatever I am holding on to, usually it's a lot more than just good things. There's some vile things that people carry in to church, the stuff that they were watching on Saturday night. You think about it. When you finally repent of that, you say, Lord, I'm a mess. I, I hate this and you turn to Jesus Christ with, uh, with empty hands, you get, remember that, that man sitting there at the side of the beautiful gate, the main gate going into the temple? He reached out. What if his hand was full of money? Would somebody put more money in it? No, his hand was empty. And as he reached out, it was a great picture of, to those people saying, empty your hands, empty your life, and take Jesus Christ. That's the best picture of repentance, folks. The great results, look at verse 19. Repent ye therefore. Guess what happens? The first thing that happens, what's the next word? Converted, what a good word. What a great word. And be converted. Conversion is when Jesus changes you. It's the greatest miracle ever, you know that? It's called being saved. He goes on. He says, that your sins be blotted out now think about it i mean god's got a list he keeps records folks and would it be nice if that record you'd say i wish somebody would burn that record he doesn't have to he blots it out so you can't read him it it's like taking a black marker and marking over whatever was in the book of evidence against you and you can't read it anymore it was there has my name at the top and everything's been blotted out isn't that wonderful he goes on you know and honestly i have to say this Even the sin of rejecting the Messiah can be forgiven. Even those people crying out, I want him dead. Those very same people say, can can he save me? Yeah, that sin can be blotted out. The most heinous, the most vile sin can be blotted out so that it's not even remembered anymore. Then he goes on, look what he says. He says, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. That's joy. You know, before you're saved, only darkness, despair, disappointment, that's what's running in your life. And all of a sudden, refreshing joy. He goes on and he says, verse 20, and he, God, shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. The same Jesus that you rejected, he's coming back. That's good news. The second coming is about to happen and it leads to one more thing, folks, he calls it the The restitution, look at verse 21. When the heaven must receive, whom the heaven must receive, he's gonna hold on, he's gonna be held right in heaven until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. The the time of the restitution is the day of the Lord. That's Armageddon and the millennial kingdom. It's when Jesus restores everything to perfect condition. You You ever seen some of this, Uh, these antique chairs and tables. You know what they were like when the the person found them in an attic or in some garage somewhere, and then they took it away, and they began to sand it, and they began to work on it, and then they began to polish it and buff it and then put lacquer on it and then put it up there for 300 euros? They restored it, didn't they? You know what Jesus is going to be able to do? In one day, he will restore everything to right. You see, if you make this step and you truly repent so that you can receive the gift of eternal life and you receive like this lame man, receive everything you need. You get to go into that on the right side. I don't want to be alive and be on the wrong side of God at the day of the Lord at the Armageddon. Millennial kingdom of heaven on earth. I can't wait for that. He then says something in verse 22. He says, beware of the results of, of, your, of rebellion. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren. He quotes from Deuteronomy 18. He says, God will raise up a prophet of your brethren like unto me. This is Moses. There's gonna be somebody just like me, just as much authority as I have who will speak the word of God him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. When he's saying that, he's saying, You better listen to him. Verse 23. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Remember, Moses told us a prophet was coming. We've all been looking for him. We call him the Messiah. He's a savior. He was from us. He was our own kind. He wasn't from, from Rome or from Europe, he was from right here among our own brethren. And Moses commanded us to hear and do what that prophet said. Just like we were we were commanded to obey Moses, we've got to obey this prophet. If you won't hear what that prophet said, and that prophet's name is Jesus, and if you continue to rebel, you will lose. You will be destroyed. You know how many times has Israel throughout history been destroyed? Ruined because of rebelling against the Bible. It's just been a constant series of them. Well, he's basically telling those, those Jewish people out there in his audience, don't do it again. Because verse 24, he continues, he says, you were given priority access to God. Verse 24, yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of, these days, in Peter, said they there saying, the days that we, all of us, not us today, but in that day that we're living in, we're foretold. And then he looks at him and he says, ye are the children of those prophets. You're the, you're the result of those prophets preaching and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. So unto you, Jews, first, God, having raised up his son, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of you from his iniquities. What's the greatest miracle? Raising somebody up who was born crippled or saving somebody who was born a sinner? Which one's greater? Hallelujah. So this man is a shadow, a picture, an illustration of the nation of Israel that is crippled and they're away from God and all it took was one name that restored and it Stored, you know how many look at chapter five. Look at chapter five in verse. I said chapter five, chapter four. Chapter four. Albeit, many of them which heard the word that Peter preached, they believed, and the number of the men was now about five thousand more. That's good preaching, isn't it? By way of conclusion, it's amazing how just one miracle, one unusual event launched into the great message on repentance. I wish you realized how important our testimony is to our family. You need to be, don't ever demean what Jesus Christ did when he saved you because you are a walking, talking miracle. You are proof that Jesus Christ is alive and that he works and that he can save anybody. And in your home, if you've got unsafe parents or unsafe family members, they need to see you as that, that crippled man walking and praising God, leaping too. <laughs> Honestly, why would you be sorrowful? Why would you be down? Why would you be discouraged? Why would you be afraid? You've been saved, you've been healed on the inside. That one thing will open up. Why are you so happy? I just came from church and I realized just how saved I am. Amen? And then give the gospel. <laughs> Peter used that miracle to remind all those people how they had treated the Messiah. And that straight up message cut them to the heart. You know what, you're, you, know what you go to hell on? Not the basis that you that you drank and you got drunk or you you stepped away from your marriage or you, you you stole from your boss every other week. or That's not what sends you technically to hell. All of those are sins that separated you from God. But the one thing that will end you up in hell is how you responded to the name Jesus. Did you mock it? Did you walk away from it? That is your only hope. And when they realized what they had done to Jesus Christ, it terrified them. And he said, God wants to bless you and give you eternal life. Will you take it now? And 5,000 of them did. I believe that's why it's called good news, folks, because it just is mind boggling. You I mean my, my, my life can be like that crippled man? Could you be just one more? You know, the Lord puts 3,000, 5,000. I don't think he's totaling it up yet. He says about. He'd like to add one more. Amen. Maybe you. 41 years ago, I put my name down in the book of life. Well, God did, but I offered my name. I said, I'll trust Jesus Christ, man. And my name's written down there, 5001. (laughs) That's the Lord. There's room for you. If You'll come up there. Stand with me. When you stand, we're gonna pray, and then we're gonna sing. In times like these, you need a savior. When you find that, bow your heads for just a moment. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we are humbled today to think about that you looked at our life like Peter looked at that beggar's life, and you had compassion. Probably most of us, we weren't looking for you, so you sent somebody our way, gave us a gospel tract, invited us to church, made us feel uncomfortable, told us about one person named Jesus. Maybe we were upset, maybe we rejected it, but something got our attention. And it probably was just the way that that soul winner shined. Just the way of of the Lord in their life, what he had done for them that drew our attention. Somebody passing by this building, God, I pray that they would always hear joyful singing. I pray that they sense that there's a, a place of joy here, a place that experiences the miracles of conversion, and it would draw their attention. And they would yearn with all their heart to know, is it possible they could be for them? So, Lord, in this room, there may be somebody who is just as crippled, just as invalid as this lame man was from birth. We all are like that. We're sinners from birth. And yet here's, here's a chance offered to the whole world. We believe on Jesus Christ. Got to let go of some things so that you can receive one gift that'll change your life, convert you, blot out your sin. Jesus will come back for you, not against you. Wow, you'll be on the right side of history and you'll get to enjoy forever. World restored to paradise. That's the gospel. Lord, somebody in this room needs to get saved. I pray they talk to me afterwards. Don't let them go home until they settle their destiny, until they settle that their soul needs Jesus Christ by faith, not by works, not by prayer, but by a cry from the heart that just needs a Savior. Lord, I I pray also for the Christians, God, how powerful it is that the world would see just a miracle. And that's what we are i mean you save wretches like us you you're working on us father help us to stop fighting you and yield and let you do a great work because the world is impressed with one christian who just lives for jesus may we be that christian in jesus name amen to